You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series, Choose This Day, from the book of Joshua. pray in a minute, but I want to update you guys. People have been asking some questions, and so I want to give a little bit of answer from what I know. Um, a couple weeks ago, our, our architects and all those guys, engineers, went before the city, before the MPC, to finalize to see if we could build something behind, and you know, it was 99% done, and they had to nail out a few little parking details um, of our agreement with uh, uh, the parking lot on the end of the street, and uh, they finally not- those knocked out this week, I believe, and so really the architects and the um, Civil engineers are kind of pressing forward, and they're drawing up plans to give us a cost eval. That'll take about three or four weeks, so they come back to us in a couple weeks and say, okay, here's what it looks like. Here's about what we're going to build. And, uh, and so really, they're, they're pressing on, and they're pressing forward with that. So it's a miracle that the city has agreed to let us do something. The biggest issue, obviously, was parking, as some of you know, because you parked up by the Oglethorpe Mall, so I get that. Um, but um, the, the, the Hazemans on the, on the end, let me just say this, have been very gracious with us. That the, he's the doctor at the end. He has allowed us to use his parking lot, um, which he did not have to do. And if he did not do that, we would not be able to build. And so just if you have Dr. Hazeman, and a lot of you do, thank him. Um, and if you see trash ever over there, please pick it up. Um, just we want to take care of our neighbor well, and so we want to love on them well. So if you have an appointment this week, say, hey, I go to CBC. Thank you guys so much because it means, let me tell you, it means a lot to them that when you, when you thank them. And so uh, just so that's, that's a really answer to prayer. And so we'll come back in a couple weeks and tell you what's next. And so we're excited about that. So that's coming on. Um, we're going to pray. And as we've been trying to do, pray through uh, some of the churches in this community um, last week, it, we prayed for the Philippines instead, but uh, this week, we're going to pray for First Baptist of, Pool, of Richmond Hill, um, which is a church out in Richmond Hill, obviously, for those who live out there, it preaches the gospel, and so we want to pray for their ministry this morning as, as they're doing what we're doing, is trying to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So let's pray for our time. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for your, just your grace to us, and just that we miss it so often, but we thank you just for uh, just the little things that, that uh, just remind us of your goodness. Um, Thank you for allowing us to worship, and we thank you that you've given us favor with the city so that we can build a facility that's just a little bit bigger so that we're not so crowded, but also so that more people may hear the word of God. And uh, Lord, we're not about us. We're about your kingdom and your name, and so I pray that we would continually be that. I just pray for uh, First Baptist Richmond Hill this morning, and, and a church that's been around for a long time and has been preaching faithfully your word. I pray for their leadership, um, that they would be unified. I pray for the church, that there would be no division, there would be no... Uh, discouragement, or they would fight that if there is. Lord, I pray that they would faithfully preach the word, uh, that the, uh, their pastors and their uh, leaders would just uh, be in tune with your spirit, knowing what you're calling them to do, and that they would make disciples um, as we seek to make disciples, Lord. And so I just pray for your blessing on that church and all the others that are faithfully preaching the word and faithfully preaching the gospel. We want to see people come to faith. We want to see people mature in their faith. Uh, and that's what we want for this church, Lord. And I, I certainly cannot do that um, I need so much grace, uh, and I need so much of your favor because I am broken. And so I please, I just beg of you to fill me with your spirit to build the church 
Lord Jesus, it's your church. You love them so much more than I ever could. You gave yourself for them. And so I pray through me, a broken man, you would equip your saints for the work of ministry. It's in Christ's name and for his glory and his reputation, I pray. Amen. All right. Go ahead. If you have your Bible, turn to Joshua 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you. You can grab that one and, uh, and, and do that. Um, we've been in this series on Joshua for a couple weeks. Got a couple more. Actually, a couple months. We've got a couple more weeks. So we should finish up before Christmas. There are certain things in this world that age well, right? That, that just, they age well. Maybe a fine instrument, like a good, nice guitar. Those who are musicians know a guitar that's a nice guitar ages well. Right? Or a fine wine may age well. Um, or a piece of art you know, may age well. Or real estate uh, gets more valuable as, as age goes on. There are many things that don't age well. Minivans don't age well. <laughs> if you have kids, you know this. Um, my running shoes don't age well. A steak doesn't age well, right? Leave it in, out for a couple of days and see what happens, right? Uh, we, but we have a culture that really views aging as negative, right? It's, everything is negative about getting older or, or aging. In fact, we have billions of dollars spent every year fighting the inevitable, right? You go to Walmart, there's whole aisles with creams and berries and lotions that will dye your everything, right? There's optimal this and hormonal this. Why? To fight the inevitable. Thousands and millions of man hours spent trying to, to slow the inevitable, right? The aging process. We have folks in denial. They're celebrating their 39th birthday for the 26th time. We have 55-year-old men wearing spandex. Not good, right? I know, I know. Tell them when you see them. If you're that guy, we'll tell you. That's part of brotherly love. All right, okay? And look, those things are fine. Obviously, hair color is fine. If you don't have any hair, you, know, you don't have to worry about it, right? Um, but the biblical view of aging is actually the opposite. It's actually seen as a good thing. It's actually seen as a, a, a glorious thing. In fact, the Proverbs many times ever say, gray hair is the crown of glory for a man. Um, the Proverbs 20 says that the glory of a young man is his strength, the splendor of an old man is his gray hair. And bald people are out of luck, is what it says, right? <laughs> right? No. But the idea in the scripture is the older you get, it's a glorious thing. You don't see anybody lying about their age uh, negative. Oh, I'm 29 in the scripture when they're not. Uh, because it's seen as a good thing. Um, and what we want to do as a church is we want to age well. We don't want to fight it. We want to age well. I'm not talking about physically. But spiritually, we want to age well, right? And so what does that look like, and how does it take place? That's what we're going to talk about today. And, and so we've been in this, this series on decisions and making decisions. So today, the decision is choose to age well, right? And I know some of you, maybe you're 23, and you're saying, great, it's a sermon for the old folks, <laughs> right? It is. And it is a sermon for the young folks. And here's why. The aging well process starts now. It doesn't start, oh, when I'm 65, I'll start thinking. It starts now. Whether you're a teenager, you're an octogenarian, that's your fancy word for the day. That means you're in your 80s, not an octopus studier, right? <laughs> you, aging well starts now. And so we're going to look today at a guy who did it. He aged well. So get out your spiritual hair color. 
All right, and we're going to look at a guy named Caleb. A guy named Caleb. And what we did last week, and we've been, as we've been working through, we kind of big, broad stroke covered chapter 13 to 21, and I talked about the inheritance as it was dished out to the Israelites. But in that big section, there's a little, little, little narrative that we skipped over purposely because I knew I was coming back to it, about a guy named Caleb. He is a Judahite. So in the context of Judah getting their inheritance, you get this little blurb of this guy, Caleb. So let me read our text in its entirety, and we'll kind of come back and highlight some things. Verse 6 of chapter 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and for coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb and the son, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim and the land had rest from war. All right, so Judah is getting their land in verse 6. The people come, and here comes Caleb, right, the Kenizzite, and he goes to Joshua, right? And, and understand, again, these are the two oldest dudes in all the land. These are the old salts, right? All right, and he comes up, and this is one of those places in Scripture I would love to just watch and listen and soak it in. Just, hmm, this is like so much wisdom packed into this conversation, all right? Joshua. And Caleb. It's kind of like, for those who are kind of history guys, this past week, the Doolittle Raiders got together for the last time. All right, the Doolittle Raiders were these group of men in 1944, actually 45, I think they, was their attack. No, wait, 42, 43, one of the 40s, right? And they attacked Japan after, after Japan attacked us. But they did it in a way that was so risky, they took off from an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean, knowing that they were going to crash land in China and hopefully find their way home somehow. It was, a, it was basically a death mission, and many of them lived. In fact, there's four of them still alive, and every year they've gotten together since then, and this was the last year because they're all like 98, 93, 92, and it just these three guys got together this year. One of them couldn't make it because he's, he's too elderly, couldn't make it, but they just sat together and had one last toast, and thousands of people are there watching these guys, these heroes, and that's the kind of thing this is. This is Joshua and Caleb, these two heroes and they're gathering, and they have one of those remember the good old days conversations, right? Caleb says to Joshua, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. Remember that, that what Moses said, Joshua? Remember back then? And you can write verse 7, it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was my heart. You can write in the margin there, Numbers 13 and 14, 
Because what he's doing is he's, he's recapping back when he was 40 years old. So I was 40 years old when Moses did this, Josh. 40 years, remember that? And that, that to me stands out because I am five months away from 40. Something, this is me. This, this is my age, right? So I'm getting my ears up. So I was 40 years old. And what happens in Numbers 13 and 14 is this. The people of Israel have come across the wilderness and they're about to go in the land. And Moses sends 12 spies, one from each tribe. And these are like the studs of each tribe. It's the army rangers. It's the Delta, whatever, you know, the, the elite guys, one from every tribe. They're going to go in and they're going to report on the land. And Joshua is, I mean, Caleb is chosen from his tribe, Judah, which is very interesting because he is the son of a Kenizzite, it says in verse 6. The Kenizzites were Canaanites. So he is probably at best a half Jew. His mom is probably Jewish, but his dad is a Gentile. But yet he is such a stud at 40 years old. He is the one guy chosen from the entire tribe of Judah to go and be the army ranger in this land. And they all go in the land and they all come back with the same report. All 12 of them. The land is great. The land is beautiful. It is flowing with milk and honey. It is everything God said it was going to be. And the cities are huge. The walls are big and the people are giants. They all say that. The only difference is 10 of them say, we can't do it. And Caleb says, what you talking about, Willis? Let's go. It's Caleb, not Joshua. It's Caleb who says, we must certainly go now. But verse eight, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Everyone listens to the majority and not to Caleb, right? Who wholly followed the Lord. And so what do they do? God says, okay, you don't want to go in, you don't go in. And so for almost 40 years, they all walk around the wilderness till everybody over the age of 20 dies. Only two guys over 20 make it in, Joshua and Caleb. But back then, verse 9, Moses swore on that day, saying to Joshua and Caleb, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and for your children forever, because you followed the Lord my God. And so that's the snapshot of Joshua when he's 40 years old. Verse 10 is back at 85. Now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Just as he said, these 45 years since that time, the Lord spoke the word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am 85 years old. 85, y'all. He is the oldest guy in all of Israel. Joshua, most people think, is about 65 at this point. All right? He is the oldest guy by about 20 years. He says, I'm 85. I'm like Gandalf, though, all right? He says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my strength was then for war and for going and for coming, right? Give me my inheritance. I am 85 and I'm ready for it. And so now give me this hill country. And every good soldier knows you don't want to fight uphill. You want to fight downhill. That's why they built cities on top of the, on the hill, because that's easier to defend. He said, no, no, no. I want to go uphill. Why do I want to go uphill? That's where the Anakim are. That's where the giants are. That's where the guys I want to smoke are. Because I'm Gandalf, right? So I want the fortified cities. It may be the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out, as the Lord had said. He doesn't want some vegetable garden on the med. It's just, war is a young man's game. Go ahead, guys. I'm going to retire. Y'all go. No, give me the giants. Give me Arba, we find out in verse 15. Give me the, the king giant, the most famous giant, the one the town is named after. Give me him. I want him, right? I want this guy. And so look at Joshua says to Caleb. He says, Joshua, bless him. He said, go get him, old man. 
That's what he says. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord. Right? What a guy. What a guy. So what can we learn, just in a quick unpacking, these snapshots, Caleb at 40, Caleb at 85, what is it that causes this guy to age well? What is it that makes this guy different than everybody else? And one thing is this, when you study the scripture, just a little hint, so that when you guys are doing it on your own, which you should be, these things stand out. When you see repetition in the Bible, it's important. Okay, it means the author is trying to get something across and the Holy Spirit is inspiring them to, to wake you up. And in this text, there's, there's four big things I want you to see, but the first one, he highlights it five times in this narrative. Five times he says almost the same thing. I don't know if you caught him, but verse six it says, this is what Caleb says. He says, the Lord said to Moses. Verse 10, in the beginning he says, and now behold, the Lord kept me alive just as he said. At the end, he says, the Lord spoke, verse 10. And verse 12, he says, no, the Lord spoke on that day. At the end of it, he says, I'll drive him out just as the Lord said. Five times he highlights the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord spoke, the Lord spoke, the Lord said. That's insignificant, right? Because what was true at 40 was the same thing that was true at 85. The reason, the first reason this guy ages well is that his faith was anchored in truth. It was anchored in the word of God. That's your first thing this morning. Go slide. Slide. There it is. There it is. Okay, good. Right? His faith was anchored in the word. Very simple. When he's young and when he's old, he just simply takes God at his word. And by the way, it causes him when he's young and when he's old to stand against the grain. When he's 40, no one wants to listen to him. When he's 85, he goes up and knocks out the giants. But at the end of 15, the rest of the Judahites could not drive out the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Why? because they didn't have faith anchored in the word, and he did. It's consistent them, it's consistent at the end. And really, I'm not trying to oversimplify, but here's how Joshua lived, Caleb lived. God said this, I believe him, I'm, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it, right? Let me give you an example. Who wants a dollar? Anyone want a dollar? I see that hand, come on up, get a dollar. Okay, she don't want a dollar then, okay? All right, come on up, get the dollar, come on. Come on, I'm here. See, it takes a kid to get a dollar. Most of you are like, a dollar ain't worth embarrassment. You sure you want it? Cheers. You're welcome. Go ahead. Don't spin it in one place, Bubba. All right? Now, how did he get the dollar? All he did was he took me at my word. I said, who wants a dollar? I had one hand in the back. They didn't want to come up. Some of you are thinking... Bill's too cheap, he ain't gonna give him a dollar. It's a sermon illustration, he'll get it back at the end, I know. Right? But that, that young man said, I want a dollar. I'm gonna come get me a dollar. He took me at his word. See, that's oversimplified, but that's biblical faith. Now, the object of his faith in me is not great, but that's biblical faith. This is what he said, I'm going to act on it. And so you, you have a push in the church and a push, especially in the prosperity side. You got to have great faith. You got to have great faith and you got to pump your faith up. Those are the childs of the 80s. You remember the, the Reebok pump shoes. So you pump them up, right? You gotta, so you think you got to pump your faith up or something. 
No, 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 that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say you need great faith. He doesn't say you need to pump your faith up. He says you just need faith the size of a mustard seed. It's not the greatness of your faith that changes things. It's the object of your faith. That's what changes things. And the object of Joshua's faith is God and what he has said. And so how great is God? Omnigreat. And so he believes God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. He's rooted in something that is solid. And look, that's where it starts, knowing who God is and then acting on it. And look, as a church, we want you in the word and I want you reading the word and I want you to study it and be encouraged by it, all those things. But just listen, understand this, just reading the Bible and filling in the blanks on your study and doing all the the whatever and writing the things in your book, that's great, but that in itself is not going to change you or mature you or age you well. There comes a point where you're gonna have to actually do what it says. I can say, I'm going to go on a diet, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to plan, I'm going to count calories, I'm going to do all these things, but it's to, I, I can plan it out, I can, oh, this is how many calories a day, I can plan meals, it comes a point I have to eat the food, I have to tie the running shoes up, and I have to run. Otherwise, my plans are great, everything's great, my strategy's great, but I don't lose the weight. It comes a point where you're going to have to say, this is what God says, I'm going to trust him and do it. He says this about money, I should give off the top to him, I'm going to trust him. He says this about marriage. It doesn't feel like what the culture's saying, but it says this about kids. It says this about how to work. It says, am I going to trust him or not? Am I going to take him at his word or not? Look, aging well, maturity is not like Social Security. It just doesn't kick in one day. Oh, look, I'm 65. Here's the benefits. doesn't happen that way. Oh, one day I'm going to be a student of the word. One day I'm going to be a prayer word. One day I'm going to go out hard after Christ. It'll just happen. I'll be 65 and it'll happen. It's not like Social Security. It's more like a 401k. You start putting in now, and the dividends are great later. And it's not, oh, I have to go study the Greek and Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Syriac. I just, what does God say? And I just trust him at it. Joshua, Caleb does not have like some some higher revelation. He He has got a Canaanite dad. He doesn't have a copy of the Bible. Joshua's not even written yet. But he just knows what God said, and he takes him at his word. That is faith. And if you're going to age well, that's it. When Dr. Richard was here a couple weeks ago, it was just refreshing. I didn't get to hang with him a ton because he was sick. But there was things that I was reminded of when I was in his class in seminary. And some of the language he uses, I just remember. And he doesn't refer to his quiet time. He doesn't call it a quiet time. He called it a morning feeding, which I really liked. And so I'm thinking, I'm not going to call it quiet. I'm going to call it morning feeding. So I'm thinking, in my morning feeding this week, Daily, I've been going through some of the Gospels, and by God's providence, I came across a passage where it's the only place in all the Gospels, the only place where it says Jesus marveled at someone's faith. You think, oh, I bet it was Peter. I'm Peter. Oh, I bet it was John, Paul. It was a Roman centurion who, who sent to Jesus and said, I got a sick servant. Can you help my servant? And Jesus says, yeah, he's going to go. And he starts heading that way. And the guy stops him and says, no, 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 no. I don't need you to come to my house. Like, I I get it. I'm a centurion. I know what authority is. I tell people to do something, they do it. I send people, they go. I I just wanted you to do it. You could do it from there. You don't need to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And Jesus marvels and says, I have not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. It's the only time he marvels. What does this guy have? He knows who Jesus is. He knows he has authority. He takes him at his word and he humbly asks, will you come please? That's it. And it causes Jesus to marvel that kind of faith. And it still does. 
still does. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be young or you don't have to be old. The book of Isaiah says, even youth will grow weary. You may think, oh, they can run long and they can go. Even youth will grow weary. But those who do what? Who trust in the Lord. Those are the ones who will mount up with wings like eagles. Those are the ones who will not get weary. It has nothing to do with your, your age physically. It does spiritually. And I'm telling you, if you simply over a lifetime, starting now, teenager, 20-year-old, this is what God says. I'm just going to believe it and follow it. You will age well. You'll age like Caleb, right? But it starts with knowing Christ and knowing who he is. Spending some time nurturing your soul with Christ. Look, and we spend hours and hours in spin class and this class and aerobic, whatever, right? And that's fine because exercise is of little profit. There is, there is some good, good there. But in the end, are we nurturing our soul with the same fervor? We want to be a people who know and love and pursue Christ. If you're like, I don't know how to start, just start reading one of the Gospels. Just read a chapter a day and think about how did Jesus respond? What should I do in light of that? Just simple things. Just know Christ through his word. That's where he speaks. Look, if you do not pursue Christ, you will not wake up one day and just be mature and and age well. You won't. It's not going to happen. It starts with knowing God, knowing who he is, and pursuing him, and just taking him at his word. That's what... That's what Caleb does, right? So the first thing is he's anchored in word. He's anchored in truth. Second thing is repeated as well in this text. There's three times it says this. In verse eight, it says, I wholly followed the Lord my God. In verse nine, Moses says, because you have wholly, Caleb, wholly followed the Lord my God. At the end, at 85 years old, it says, Caleb wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Three times it highlights this that he, some translations say, wholeheartedly or with all his heart, with undivided loyalty is the idea. Very interesting. Caleb's name in Hebrew, there's a debate on what it really means. The word kelev in Hebrew means dog, right? So it's possible he was a Gentile dog and they named him dog, a hey, dog, you know, right? But there's also another possibility. There's, it could be a compound word. Caleb could be a compound word. The word kal means all, and the word lev means heart, so yes, it could be kalev, dog, or it could be kal, lev, all heart. I tend to think, you know, here's a guy who wholeheartedly, whole, fully followed God, and this is a better reflection of his name, that he with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength, loved his God. And that is another reason he aged well, that he loved God. That's number two. He loved God. Doesn't mean he was perfect. Doesn't mean he didn't lose his temper with Mrs. Joshua or kick the goat a time or two or feel, about, feel like helping around the tent. But he lived a life at 40 and at 85, which was characterized by other people, not him, that he fully, wholly followed the Lord as God, that he loved his God, right? And I think it's significant that it highlights it at 85 because a lot of 25-year-olds love God and they're passionate and they wanna go to Zimbabwe, and do all these things for God. The problem is, where are they at 35? Where are they at 45? And so the challenge for you younger folks this morning who are passionate and excited about the things of God, it's great. What happens when you're 27 and you have the career and the kids? Don't let things steal your love for Christ. Use your love for Christ to make him great in those things. 
right? It so easily happens. You see the 19-year-old, the 23-year-old excited. He's 33, you don't know him. You gotta fight to get him to be with the people of God. You gotta fight to get him in the word. You gotta fight to get him involved. Don't let things steal your delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord so that those things are a place that you make him great. Because you're not gonna wake up at 85 and all of a sudden you just love God. Oh, I love God now, I'm 85. Cultivate that. I was thinking about the love of God, and we can go all, we can do a whole sermon series on the love for God, but I was thinking about Jesus' words to Peter this week, John 21. And think about this. If you're Peter, and you're standing before the resurrected Lord, looking into the resurrected eyes, piercing your soul, all-knowing eyes of Jesus, and he asks you, Bill, do you love me? Now, he knows the answer. He ain't asking because he's wondering. And he really, if you, Jesus asked you, do you love me? What could you honestly say to him? Peter's pretty bold. Yes, you know I love you. Three times. Could you say that? I think at times, yes, most of us. But you know what I thought about as I just wrestled with this this week is, you know what I love more often than not? I love me. I don't know about you, but I love me a whole lot sometimes. And that's, I guess, why Jesus says love your neighbor as yourself, because there's the implication that you do love yourself, right? But where, how can we as a church cultivate a love for God? That's what we want. And there's lots of implications. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep, Peter. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. You know, First John talks about if you love God, you will love your brother, you'll love the church, you know, all these things. And we could talk about those, but more, I think... Um, as where I'm thinking this morning and where I was this week is, how do we cultivate a love for God? And again, in God's providence, when I'm reading through the scriptures and the gospels this week, I come across another great story where Jesus deals specifically with love for God. And the context is, Simon, a Pharisee, has Jesus come to his house. And they're skept- these Pharisees are skeptical of Jesus. So skeptical that Simon, when Jesus comes over for a meal, blows off a thousand-year custom where you typically will wash the feet of your guests when they come in. And it's not that this Pharisee just forgot. He's probably got multiple servants, but he just blows it off because he doesn't really know this Jesus and he doesn't really get him. So they're sitting and having a meal. And as they're talking and just kind of having, you know, pleasantries, everyone stops. Why? Because a woman comes in and everyone knows who she is. She's a sleazebag. In fact, even Luke says she is a sinner. And she's holding something in her hands. And Jesus is reclining, and so he's laying down as they eat. And she just comes to Jesus' feet, and she just starts weeping and sobbing. Doesn't even care. Everyone's looking at her. She's just sobbing. And she falls down on her knees, and her tears are just falling on his feet. And so she just grabs her hair, and she just starts wiping his feet. And then the unthinkable. She starts kissing. And then she takes this, this thing she's been holding and she breaks it open and she starts rubbing his feet with it, this ointment. And everyone in the room is shocked. And Simon, who invited Jesus over, is thinking, uh-huh, I knew it. I knew he was like this. If this man was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is. He would know that she was not, she's not holy. If he was truly holy, he would never let her do this. And Jesus, being the sovereign Lord, understands his thoughts and says, Simon, 
Let me tell you a story. And Simon flippantly says, go ahead, teacher. He doesn't use a respectful word. He doesn't respectfully say, please teach me. He just says, go ahead. Jesus says a parable. He says, there's a man who owns 50 denarii and there's a man who owns 500 denarii to a moneylender. 50 denarii is 50 days labor. 500 is 500 days labor. So this guy owes 10 times more than this guy. They can't pay it back, both of them. He forgives their debt. And so Jesus says, who is, who's gonna love the, the lender more? The guy who was forgiven 500, the guy who was forgiven 50. And Simon says, the guy who 500, because he was more. And Jesus says, you're right. You see this woman? I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. She's been washing my feet with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, greeting kiss. She has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet. So her great love proves that her sins, though they are many, are forgiven. Because the one who is forgiven little loves little. The one who forgives much loves much. And Jesus is not saying that Simon doesn't have as much sin as her. He's not saying that she earned forgiveness by doing these things. What he's saying is this. The proof that she has been forgiven is in the fact that she loves much. She gets the fact that she is depraved. She understands that she is broken. She understands that she's a sinner. You don't. So she loves a ton and you don't. Because y'all, the fuel of love for Christ is, a, is the understanding how great grace is and how broken you really are. And my fear for us as a church is this, that we start thinking that we're the good church, that we're the good people, that we do the good things, and if that is our heart, then we will love little. Why does Paul say, I'm the chief sinner? It's not because he sinned more than anyone else. It's because he understood how gross sin is in the eyes of holy God and how great grace is, Right? The fuel of love for Christ is the profound realization that you are a great sinner and he is a great savior. And the more you understand that, the more you understand how broken you are and stop lying to yourself and comparing yourself to everyone else and start comparing yourself to holy God, the more you will be enamored with amazing grace. Why does John Newton write amazing grace? Because it's truly amazing to a guy who killed and was a slave owner and was a rapist and all these things. And he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. The more we recognize we are wretched, the more we will love God. That's why we go back to the gospel. That's why Paul says the gospel is not, is not the simplistic, it's the deeper things. It is the wisdom of God, and it may be foolishness to the world. That's love. That's what drives a man up a hill to slay a giant. That's what it does, because he loves his God. And that's why if you have a true love for God, this is what Dr. Richard said a couple weeks ago too, you can have things you're passionate about, but only one passion in life. And if you're passionate about God, then that will overflow in your love for people. If you don't love God, you're not gonna love people. So you start for love God. And if you love God, you're gonna be on mission. And what is Christ's mission? To love other people and to tell them about him. So you're gonna, it starts with the love of Christ. You cannot live on mission. You cannot live with vision unless you start there with passion. So what do you love? And if you find your love for Lord growing cold, this morning's the day to say, Lord, First of all, forgive me, and then show me how much you love me so that I will love you back. Show me how wretched I was so that I will see your grace. Because that's, that's going to re- result in you being more humble and more prayerful and more thankful and more patient and more gracious and more content and surely more joyful. And that's what we want to be. And that's aging well. Anchored in the truth is the way we age well, and we love God. That's why we age well. Let's continue. 
in, verse four, in chapter 14 again. Third thing that kind of stands out to me about Caleb, and, and this, was, this was hugely significant because this is the hardest, but this is significant. He says again in verse 9, Moses swore on that day. Again, 45 years earlier, Moses said this, the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance and your children forever because you wholly follow the Lord my God. 45 years earlier, he was promised this inheritance. What's he been doing for 45 years? Walking and waiting. Think about that. Just to give you some context, 45 years, that would be 1968 in today's modern time. Most of y'all weren't alive. I wasn't. Nixon was voted as president in 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in 1968. The first Big Mac in 1968. Hey Jude was the number one song in 1968. Planet of the Apes, Charlton Heston, AKA Moses, was (laughs) 1968. All right, he's waiting that long, walking in the desert, for something that wasn't his fault. He wanted to go in. And he's got to sit here and wait for all these people to die off. And you don't even see anything about him for 45 years. He plays second fiddle to Joshua and just kind of in obscurity walks around the wilderness. He is a model of endurance. And if you want to age well, you have to learn to wait on God patiently. You've got to learn to wait. And that goes against kind of the, the, the flow, typically typically the older you get, the more cranky, right? Well, you got 13 items in a 10 item or less aisle. Where's my remote? 69 degrees in here, not 70 degrees in here. Where's my blanket, my slippers? You're going the speed limit in the left lane, right? What, that, that's kind of the, the, you know? But he, as he grows older, grows more patient, more gracious, Right? And some of you have been waiting a long time. I get it. You've been praying for your husband for 20 years. You've been dealing with chronic pain or loneliness for, you've been struggling with a a, a sin, an addiction, whatever it is. And the, the message of Caleb is what? Is endure. Patiently. Endure. Keep enduring. Right? Because you think it was worth it when he's 85 and he gets up the mountain and he gets his inheritance. You think that was a good day? I tell you, it was. When he gets his inheritance, it was all worth it. And when you get your inheritance, it'll be all worth it, all right? Aging well, being anchored in truth, loving God, waiting patiently with hope. Just like the psalmist says, Psalm 130, verse 5, great verse for some of us. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope, right? One more thing. I gotta go chapter 15 for this one. Okay, get another little blurb here. Let me read it, a little bit of it, and then we'll, we'll talk briefly about it. Verse 13 of chapter 15. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai, the descendants of Anak. If you go back to Numbers 13, these boys were living there then. Caleb has been waiting for 45 years to kick some giant tail. And these guys are still there, and he goes up and does it. Verse 15, and he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath-Sephir. And Caleb said, whoever strikes Kiriath-Sephir and captures it, to him I will give a cash, my daughter as a wife. So he says, hey, here's a city. Whoever wants it, I'm going to give my wife, my daughter as his wife. And she must have been a pretty good-looking gal because no one would have went up if she wasn't. 
All right? And Othniel, verse 17, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, i.e. Caleb's nephew. Caleb's nephew captured it, and he gave Machash his daughter as a wife. Now, this guy, Othniel, if you're familiar with the Old Testament a little bit, he comes up again in about 40 or 50 years. Go to the book of Judges. Now, Caleb and Joshua are all dead. There's no king. The people are in their land. The problem is because they compromised back in Joshua and didn't drive out all the inhabitants, what happens? These people come back to haunt them. They, they lure them into Baal worship. When they fall into Baal worship, God brings judgment. He brings slavery. They, they get taken away into slavery for X amount of years, sometimes 20, sometimes 40. And that happens. This king called doubly wicked Kushan is what his name means in the Hebrew. He comes and he attacks the Israelites and he brings them into slavery for seven years until they cry out to God to deliver them. And he raises up the first judge of many, like Samson and, and Ehud and, and uh, Gideon, some of the famous ones. The first one he raises up out of all the millions of Israelites is a guy named Othniel. And he courageously leads the people of Israel against this guy and defeats, and the land is given peace for 40 years. Now ask this question, where did Othniel learn to be so courageous? Where did he learn leadership? Where did he learn faith? I can tell you where he learned it, from his father-in-law, a.k.a. his uncle, Caleb. That's where he learned it. And here's the last thing if you're going to age well, is those who age well build into the next generation. They have a vision for those who come after. I don't want anyone in this room at the end of your days, whenever that is, maybe tomorrow and maybe in 20, 30, 50 years. But how sad would it be if you were asked at the end of your life, have you impacted just one person with your faith? And you're not to be able to think of one person. That's a sad thing, right? And so we as a church want to build the next generations. And look, this is how churches shall die. Good gospel preaching truth-preaching churches, because what happens is they raise their kids, and their kids go off, and they, and they walk with the Lord, and it's great, but they forgot to build into the other generation that's below them, those who are there, and 40 years, it's just a, just, a, just the grandparents now, and the only time the church is crowded is at Christmas and Thanksgiving when the families come back, because they failed to build the next generation, and we want to be a church that is multi-generational. This is huge for us. I don't want to be a church of young folks, and I don't want to be a church of old folks. I, don't want, I want to be a church of people. Teenager to octogenarian, that's always been the desire. That's why we don't do double services, contemporary and traditional. Why? Because we know what happens there. So we put everyone together in a room and we shake them up, right? <laughs> that's what we do. Because our, our community groups are not age-based. They're wherever you're at, right? Because we want everyone together. Because we've got to have a vision for the next generation. You, you just have to. And that goes for all. That's not just for the 50 and over crowd. 20-year-olds. You have a huge place at this church. Do you realize that my 13-year-old boy and my 11-year-old girl, they think you're the coolest thing since sliced bread? They don't. They're deceived, I know, but they think that. <laughs> and they are watching. My 11-year-old daughter, ladies, is watching you. They're looking at how you dress. They're looking at how you act because they think you're cool. You may think, oh, well, then they shouldn't be. They should be. No, you are a model for them. Young men, for my 13-year-old and my 8-year-old and my 5-year-old, they think you are so cool. Right? You have a responsibility to model for them what Christ-likeness says, whether you know it or not. And then young parents, 
You have a responsibility to model for these college kids who are trying to figure their way what it looks like to be a young spouse, to have kids, to put your hope in God, to manage your money well. And the next one's up, parents of teenagers are helping those younger. And the next one up who are empty nesters, you're encouraging those to say, hey, I know you're going to four T-ball games and I know you're up three times and doing laundry. You will get through this. Can I help you? Can I come help you one day? Can I take your kids? And the next generation up. And we're just building the next one down. Right? We're just, that's what a body does for each other. It's the body looking out for the common good of one another. And it's all of our responsibilities. Parents, let me encourage you. Your kids don't need you to be Arthur Fonzarelli. And certainly, if you have teenage kids, your goal should not be that your teenage kids think you're the coolest thing ever. You, if you're 45, don't act 15. I mean, act like a 45-year-old. Have fun. You know, put your arm around your wife and hey, I give her a big kiss in front of them. That's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't try to act like you're 16 again. Don't be 63 wearing spandex running around, okay? <laughs> I know, it's just, it's just sad, right? But the idea is act who you are. Built like, be the person God has you to be in that season of life and don't be ashamed of it. Right? That, that's what we want to be, aging well. And don't let your teenagers... Parents, don't let your teenagers be the ones that are passionate about God and not you. Don't let them be dragging you to church, right? I mean, if your 17-year-old daughter is pumped about Jesus, man, that ought to get you excited, I'm telling you. Not, oh, great, Belly wants to go to church again, that crazy church with that short guy. Uh, (laughs) You lead in that. Aging well, right? And you don't have to go far to look for people in your sphere. You get your grandkids. You got the people in your community group. You got the people in your neighborhood. You got the people at your work. We're not talking about going a million miles away. People you work with, impacting those people. Making Christ look great there. That's we constantly coming back to that. Making Christ look great there. How do we age well, whether a teenager or an octogenarian? We're rooted in truth. We're growing in love. We're enduring patiently. And we're looking to the next generation somehow encouraging them, building them, loving them well. That's the kind of church we want to be, and that's Caleb. That's what I want to be. That's what I want all of us to be. And it's not too late. You say, I'm 82. So? You got six months, you got six years, you got 60 years. It's not too late. It's not too late. Today. Let's stand and let's worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are gracious and you are kind and you are loving. I pray that we would be a loving church, loves you and loves others. I pray that we would have a vision for what you're doing, and that we would be on mission. Lord, I pray that we would age well in, in, a, in a culture that doesn't, um, that we would age well, that we would be anchored in truth, that we would love you, that we would love grace more and more every day. Uh, just show us our need for it. Glorify your son through us. In Christ's name, I pray.